ready. All right. That's right. A little theme music to go along with it. A little theme music to preach. All right. So, guys, happy Resurrection Sunday. Amazing, amazing to be here with you, worshiping the living God with you. And the fact is, is that he is alive. Amen. And so all the excitement, all of the rejoicing, all of the celebration that we have is because of the fact that we don't just serve a God who's a dead philosophy. We don't serve a God who's just here to make our life happier or better. But we serve the living God who was dead, buried, gone. But now he's living and active today in people's lives to change their lives forevermore. And so what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is that it doesn't matter how you came in. When you leave, things can be different. It does not matter where you started. What God says is that God is forever the same, and the same way that he worked in miracle power over 2,000 years ago, he's able to work in miracle power today to change each and every one of our lives. So today what we're going to do as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday is we're going to get down to the foundation, get down to the basics, and talk about this. What we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters. What we believe why we believe it, and why it matters. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news towards us today. And God, we thank you that you've given us new life in Christ. And not only have you given us new life in Christ, but you've given us the ability to walk in resurrection power day after day after day. And God, we thank you that chains can come off today. God, we thank you that bonds can be broken today. God, we thank you that regardless of how people started and the ways that they came in feeling stuck, down, depressed, Father, overcome by sorrow and sin, that God, today can be a different day for us all. In Jesus' mighty name, help us by your word. Amen. Okay, so today, if you are following along with us, what we're going to do is we're going to start by talking about what we believe, what we believe, why we believe it, and then also why it matters. So if you have a Bible today, open with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the words of three men today, all inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to first talk about the words of Paul. Secondly, we're going to look at the words of a prophet, an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. And then finally, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Peter, who many of you know was one of Jesus' main men following him during his earthly ministry. And so what we believe is that there is a living God who sent Jesus, his son, to the cross to pay for our sins and raised him to life with miracle power. And what we need to understand is that when we're talking about this miracle power, we're primarily talking about the resurrection. Jesus opened blind eyes. Jesus opened deaf ears. Jesus drove demons out of people that were tormenting people and ruining their lives. But Jesus, most importantly, went to the cross for our sins, died there so that as a substitute and was raised to life in power to prove that he was the son of God. And this is why C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia and also an Oxford professor said this to preach Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection the resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the book of Acts the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought so there is no good news without the fact that there's a resurrection from the dead 
I mean, I don't know about you, but my gray hairs get more numerous as the days go by. Anybody with me? No, some of you are too young in here. But listen, it will come to you. And I'm telling you, as I go towards being gray, the hair's been gone for a while. But as I go towards being gray, I thank God that as I go into the grave one day, there is resurrection life on the other side. And there is no good news without preaching the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. This is the Apostle Paul preaching. He said, now I remind what I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, this good news that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance, and everybody say first importance. So it doesn't matter when the last time was that you came to church. We're reminding you that today, this resurrection life of Jesus is of first importance. He said, this is of first importance what, I, what you also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, otherwise known as Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And so here is the good news of the gospel, that just like the Apostle Paul, who was once a persecutor of Christians, a persecutor of those who were clinging to this message, the fact is, is that when you actually meet the living God, your life can change. It doesn't matter what philosophy you came in with. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you came in with. It doesn't matter what baggage you came in with. Because there is a living God who is able to resurrect the dead, he says all dead things in your life can come to life and they can change. That is the power and the good news of the gospel. It is based on the premise that God is a miracle-working God. And if you need a miracle in your life, you are in the right place today. If you are online today watching this message, you need a miracle. God says even in your home, he can meet you with miracle power as you look to Jesus, his son, resurrected from the dead. And how many of you would say after two years of harsh living, burdens, navigating all types of social and contextual obstacles that we need miracles in our lives. We need miracles in our lives literally just to set us free from the burdens that we carry with us into work every day, trying to raise a family in this type of context, trying to keep your sanity and mental health in this type of environment. How many people know that sometimes that takes a miracle? And the miracle of God is this, that God doesn't stay far from you, but God promises that if you draw near to him because he's alive, he'll draw near to you. And when God draws near to you, there's miracle power to change your life. C.S. Lewis actually also said this in his book, Miracles. We find ourselves in a world of transporting pleasures, 
ravishing beauties, and tantalizing possibilities, but all constantly being destroyed, all coming to nothing. Nature has all the air of a good thing spoiled, meaning that it speaks of death all around us. But the point of Resurrection Sunday is there's life on the other side. That everything that you see around you is meant to come to an end. God even introduced mortality into our lives so that we wouldn't be subject to our bondage to decay. But he says, ultimately, it was so that the sons and the daughters of God might be revealed. Those who repent of their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and are ultimately changed by that miracle power. And so that's what we believe. But the question is, why do we believe it? Why do we believe it? And the truth is, is that we believe because there is evidence. Everybody say evidence. There's evidence for the miracles of Christ and the resurrection all around us. That's why the apostle Peter, who followed Jesus during his three and a half year earthly ministry, said this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, meaning those who oppose the message. Or don't be troubled, but in your hearts... Honor Christ as holy, meaning set apart and altogether different, always being prepared to make a defense, meaning give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And how many people know that whenever we choose to believe that which God says is true, there are reasons why we actually believe it. There are reasons beyond the fact that it was a good bedtime story that your parents might have told you when you were growing up. There are reasons to believe the fact that Jesus lived sinlessly, that he worked miracles, that he died sacrificially, and that he rose in miracle power to show with power that he was the son of God. Now, some of you are of the generation where all you know is YouTube and all you know is possibly Jimmy Fallon in the late night show. But let me tell you, there were people before him. One of those people in the terms of late night possibilities was a man named David Letterman. You might have actually recognized him if you actually watched the Netflix episodes of My Next Guest Is. Anybody have heard of that before? That's fine. You don't need to watch that much TV. The thing is, is this. He used to have, he used to have, he used to have what was called on his talk show, the top 10. How many people remember that, right? The top 10 that he used to go through. And what we're going to go through is just for you, a sampling of the top 10 of why we can actually believe that Jesus rose with miracle power. But you need to understand that if you thought that your faith was just based on just based on blind faith or just good intentions, a well-meaning narrative, I'm telling you there's something more to the faith that you're actually holding dear to today. That's why former atheist and author Lee Strobel said it this way, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I did as an atheist. He never promised actually any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Let that sit for a moment. By looking at his evidence, it's the most rational step 
most logical step I could possibly take in my life. So what are some of those top ten? Again, this isn't exhaustive, but it at least gives you a sampling to go back and reflect on later and look into as you study. First, there were the 40 days of proof that Acts chapter 1 talks about after Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. It said he went around giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. After his resurrection, he went around to the very same people he was preaching to and said, hey, look, here are my wrists. See the holes in them? Here's my side. Here's where they jabbed that spear, punctured my heart. I was dead, gone, wrapped up, and buried. But I'm showing you, not in a spiritual way only, but in bodily resurrection, I'm now alive. I'm now alive. And what he did is he gave proofs and evidence for the resurrection. What were some of those? First of all, we understand that no one dies for ultimately what they know to be a lie. There were the death of the apostles who followed Jesus Christ. That is number one, right? Many of you might die for something that you believe in or some sort of philosophy that you have, but let me tell you, nobody's going to die for what they know to be a lie. Isn't that true? Why? Because we're self-preservationists by nature. And if you've ever been in a locker room before, you have a bunch of dudes who are liars or maybe a bunch of girls who are liars around you, always talking about what they did the night before. Anybody remember those times? And they were liars, and you would challenge them in their lies, say, man, that did not happen. You didn't do that. That exploit wasn't yours. And they were like, oh, yeah, it was. Oh, I, yeah, sure, I did that thing. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? Okay, and then you said, that's good. You know what? I think you're so convinced about this. Let me go and talk to her right now. Let's, let's, get, let's get together and see if it really happened. And then all of a sudden the dude was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, actually, I did. it didn't really actually happen like that, right? People start to back up because they're not going to be called on the carpet for what they know to be a lie. All of the apostles, minus one, naming John, naming, namely John the apostle, died a martyr's death for what they knew to be true. In the Roman Empire, they were given a choice. Either renounce this Jesus as Lord, who you proclaim as resurrected, or we're going to kill you. What they did, each and every one of them, is they said, I cannot die. I cannot choose to do anything but side with this Jesus who has resurrection life in himself. I saw him crucified. I saw him buried. And I saw him raised again. No one's going to die for a lie. Number two, the radical change of heart of the family of Jesus Christ. You know, whenever Jesus was actually walking on the scene, do you know that his natural-born family didn't necessarily want to follow him immediately? Matter of fact, when Jesus was saying some crazy things like, I am the bread of life, and those who come to me and feed on me will never perish but have everlasting life. How many people know if your siblings start talking like that, you would go and get them real quick, right? You go get them real quick. And that's what they did with Jesus, Right? Jesus was surrounded by a mass of people, and then they came and said, uh, Jesus, your family's here for you, right? Your family's here, and they came to take charge of you, and he said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? They are those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was part of that list that uh, the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But after the resurrection, though they doubted Jesus at first, there was a change of heart. They automatically said, you know what? I grew up with him. I can't deny the fact that my brother never sinned. I provoked him. Anybody have siblings in here? Yeah, I, I provoked him. I fought with them. I ridiculed him. But, at this end, but all he could do was bless me. Now, I know that God's got to be different. He's got to be the sinless son of God. But most importantly, I saw him resurrected from the dead. 
and his family became some of his first followers who testified to that fact. Number three, there are no such things as mass hallucinations. No such things as mass hallucinations. Okay? Let me tell you something. When Paul, the Apostle Paul was talking about Jesus appearing to the 500 at one time, that's not just wishful thinking. And if you, like me, have ever had a, a few friends who did a little substance stuff, you know, come on now. I know we're in church, but anybody had friends before who did a few substances that altered a few things? You know what? Come on now. I know it's Easter, but, right? Put a little something on the tongue, right? Then all of a sudden they're like, whoa. And just wigged out. Might have altered their mind in the moment, but if multiple people were doing it at the same time, guess what they didn't have? They didn't have the same hallucination at the same time. One person thought he was being traced by a green monster. Ah, help me. Another person felt like they were falling while sitting on the couch. Another person felt like they were the Royal Ranger, right? And so all types of things, all different hallucinations. But here's the point of the matter. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the 500 saw the appearance of Christ at one time proving that he was alive. They saw it at one time and said, this Jesus is resurrected. This is no mass hallucination. I see him in the flesh. Number four, even his enemy said so. Even those who first opposed his message, meaning extra biblical accounts, gave testimony to the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. I'm not going to go into this one so much. I'm going to encourage you to read a book called Evidence for Christianity by a man named Josh McDowell. Gives a great list of some of those who were previously opponents to Jesus who also testified to his resurrection. Number five, from persecutor to martyr. 1 Corinthians 15. Remember, the Apostle Paul who was writing was once who was dragging Christians off to be imprisoned, saying, listen, we need you to stop preaching this message. You're blasphemers. I'm telling you, you need to show up and, and, and renounce this polytheism. Otherwise, we're going to get rid of you. Paul was one of the main proponents in that cause. But when he met Jesus, the living God, on the way to trying to persecute several Christians who were going to be dragged off to prison, he saw him in a vision and said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now turn, turn, go into the city. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. Up to this point, you've caused suffering, but now I'm going to tell you how much suffering you're going to have to endure for my name. And Paul, the apostle, ended up writing by the Holy Spirit three-fourths of the New Testament letters testifying not only to the resurrection of Jesus, but explaining his divinity, his character, and his life in God. From, mar from persecutor to martyr, he ultimately died for his faith that he was preaching. Number six, an earthquake, a split curtain, and, a de and dead saints in the city. You can read this later, but Matthew 27, 51 through 54, as Jesus died on that cross, stuff happened. Stuff happened. And the earth beneath their feet started to quake. The earth beneath their feet started to tremble. There was an earthquake, and that veil that once separated the holy place from the most holy place split in two. And now, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
people were invited into the presence of God for the first time so that they can have holy relationship with him. You know that what that means for you and me? That God isn't going to stay far off anymore. As you come to God through Jesus Christ, he says, you can know me intimately. You can know me personally. And as you are my sheep, I will talk to you, lead you, and guide you as you commit to serving me as Lord. Number seven, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. They knew where it was. They showed up to see if he was there. Trivia, he was not. He was gone. And at the expense of the soldiers' lives who were guarding that tomb. You see, it wasn't just like when you apply for a job today, and if you don't like it, you just ghost those applications that you submitted. You know what I'm talking about, right? Submitting for a job. Oh, I changed my mind. I'm not feeling it today. See, the centurions were different. If they lost the body of Jesus, who had basically led an uprising in the community, it would have cost them their lives. But you know what they said? I don't know what happened. He's not here. The tomb was empty. He was gone. He was raised. Number eight, Jerusalem would have been a hard place to start such a lie. Where did the gospel begin? Again, it began right in Jerusalem. Where did the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus begin? It started right in the place where Jesus had his earthly ministry. Right in the place where he had his earthly ministry. So what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is, hey, many of the people who heard and saw what Jesus did are still living. Go talk to them. If it's a lie, they'll be able to tell you it's a lie and denounce what I'm saying. They did not. They testified to the truth. Number nine, the power feats that accompanied the testimony of the resurrection in the book of Acts. He said, these signs would follow the preaching of my word. And here's the good news, that Jesus, though he went on to die and was resurrected from the dead, his miracles didn't end. His miracles continued by the promise and power of the Holy Spirit that he gave to his disciples, saying, these signs will follow when you testify about me. And here's the good news. Guess what continues today? Signs, wonders, and miracles all throughout the world testifying to the resurrected Christ today. Amen. And if you need the power of God in your life, you can cry out to him today. Because he's still a God who hears and heals today. Because he's a resurrected king. Finally, the prophecies fulfilled regarding the death and resurrection of Christ can be undeniable. They're statistically undeniable. Mathematician Peter Stoner counted the probability of one person fulfilling even a small number of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He concluded that the chance of a single man fulfilling just 48 of the prophecies found in the Tanakh, meaning the Old Testament, would be 1 in 10 times 157, 10 to the 157th power. In other words, that is 1 followed by 157 zeros. I don't know what your bank account looks like, but just imagine <laughs> if you had 157 zeros behind your balance. 
that is the statistical probability of him fulfilling all of those things. He says this in this way. We take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. Just imagine this. He says they will cover the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly. Blindfold the man and tell him that he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. From their day to the present time, providing they wrote in their own wisdom, this means that the fulfillment of just eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writing of those eight prophecies to a definitiveness which lacks only one chance in 10 to the 17th power of being absolute. Now, some of you are like, I'm not a mathematician. Shut up. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Jesus fulfilled not just the 48 specifically messianic prophecies, but he fulfilled more than 324 individual prophecies that related to the Messiah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. You see this? These are, re these are the reasons that you actually believe. What are one of those prophecies? Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah is many times called the fifth gospel because of how much he's talking about the coming Messiah, how much he's talking about the coming Savior who would be the resurrected king. And in Isaiah 52, he starts by talking about the Messiah, and the, otherwise known as the suffering servant. And he says, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle the nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Let's go on down to verse 4. It says this about the Messiah who would come. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Let me tell you, let me, let me just set this up for you just very quickly. I'm, we do a lot of um, outreach in the community, not only in our city, but abroad. And one of my favorite things to do is to talk to my Jewish friends my Jewish friends who've actually been waiting for a Messiah for quite a while. And the good news is, is that Jesus came as a fulfillment to all the Messianic prophecies that they've been prophesying about for hundreds of years. My favorite, favorite scripture to talk about in this regard is this one. You know what I do a lot of times? Have you ever been on a plane before and wanted to talk to somebody so bad, but you were scared? Yeah, I know some of you introverts are like, no. That wasn't me. <laughs> you confused me. <laughs> right? Okay, well, I'm the one who's coming for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I am that person. <laughs> okay? And one of my favorite things to do is to sit in the aisle so it makes it difficult for anybody to go anywhere. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I say, can we just open up the scripture together and tell me, tell me, who do you think this sounds like? I don't tell them where it's from. I don't tell them when it's written, though it was written by the Jewish prophet Isaiah 700 years prior to Christ showing up on the scene. 
700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. I just read this passage to them. I say, tell me who this sounds like. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, hear this, cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. So you get this pro progression. He's dead, but then he's going to see his offspring. He's dead and gone, but now he's made a transition. He's still going to see his offspring. Let me tell you, when I'm dead and gone, if I didn't make it to see my grandkids, guess what I'm not going to see? Them. Make sense? If I'm dead and gone, as opposed to folklore, I'm not just going to be looking down on them, wishing good things for them, making things happen for them. No, I'll be dead. Everybody understand that? Even though I wish differently, I'll be dead. Doesn't matter how often they go to my grave and talk to me, pouring it out, talking about this one's for my homie, I'll be gone. But in the case of Jesus, he says he's buried, numbered with the transgressors, but he's going to see his offspring. And he says, ultimately, he shall prolong his days after his death, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, he shall, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. So imagine me back on the plane. And I say, who does that sound like to you? Who does that sound like to you? And invariably, no matter what their background is, if they have some knowledge, they're like, Jesus, of course. And I'm like, I agree. I agree. You know why? Because it was talking about Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. 
Jesus, the resurrected one, who would take the transgressions of the many on himself, would be dead, buried, numbered with the transgressors. But God Almighty, by his own word, 700 years before prophesying about it, would raise him to life with miracle power. And now he says, if you would lay your transgressions on him, he'll raise you to new life as well. If you would repent of your sin, he will raise you to new life as well. It is not just for the few. It is for anyone who would believe. Anyone who would put their trust in him for the good news of that miracle power working in their life. And that's why it matters. It's not just what we believe. It's not just why we believe. But why it matters is because you will die. You hear me? If I, this is a wake-up call to you, I'm sorry. But each and every one of us, we're going to die. You're vibrant. You're young, full of life. And yes, I do mean young, me too. All these gray hairs. 80 is the new 60, right? So listen. <laughs> but no matter how you feel, you're going to die. And when you die, you are going to face this holy, righteous, almighty God in judgment. And he's going to say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And as the scripture says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We all have blown it. We've all missed it. We've all lived in some sort of sin, whether it be sexual morality, drunkenness, impurity, dishonoring our parents, lying, stealing, being full of pride. See, some of you already said to yourself, oh, I dub none of those things. That's right, because you're full of pride. <laughs> Thinking yourself better than everyone else around you. And God says, I oppose the proud, but give my grace to the humble. And why it matters is each and every one of us will be humbled by death. And he says, you will give an account for your life. And the only way you're going to stand in right standing with God before the righteous one who judges us is putting your trust in that suffering servant. The one who, according to his own word, died, was sacrificed as a substitute, but raised to life again, showing with power that he is the unique son of God who came not only for my life, not only for the person next to you, but for yours. And the reason you are here today, the reason you're listening today is because he's making an appeal to you once again. Saying it doesn't matter where you came in, how you came in, or where you started. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where he can transform your life. And if you've called yourself a Christian, but you've been in a tomb, he says, today is the day I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of that tomb and saying, live. Just like I called Lazarus out of that tomb. I said, live. He believed that he died in that death. He died in that belief. But Jesus came to his tomb and said, I command you, come out. Take off the grave clothes and live. And so if you came in today not a Christian, today is your day to repent. It matters because you will face this God in judgment. If you came in a Christian, but you've been in grave clothes, today is to hear his voice and come out by faith anyway. Because he says, here's the message. I want you to repent of your sin and believe the good news.
believe the good news that the same miracle power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's available to you today. To you today. To me today. If we would turn away from that which held us bound and put our trust in the righteous one who not only died, but according to his word, was raised to new life by the miracle power of God. And we can do it all in Jesus' name. Resurrection Sunday. That's right, yeah! Amen, come on now. Resurrection Sunday. So I want us all to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your gospel. And we thank you that when we come to this Resurrection Sunday, it's a glorious time. It's an amazing time because not only can we hear the message of the gospel, but we can be transformed by it. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would sweep across this crowd and not only empower those who've already been walking with you faithfully, but I pray that you would give them the ability to communicate the reason for the hope that they have. They would live in the power of the hope that they have today in Jesus' name. And for anybody in here who says, you know what, I have heard the message of the gospel before. I've even called myself a Christian. But truth be told, I've lived in a grave of my own making. I've been in a cycle of sin, doing the same things over and over again, just trying to push it down, thinking to myself, if I just, if I just don't think about it, if I just can push past the things that I'm continually trapped in, then maybe it won't matter to God. Maybe it won't matter so much. But you realize today that it does matter to God and that it matters so much to God that not only did he lay his life down for you, but he comes to set you free. As we were singing about today, set you free and bring you out of those graves. If that's you and you need prayer today, would you raise your hand? I want to first pray for you. Anyone who says, I need to come out of my grave, my personal grave in God. Okay, anyone else? who says, you know what, I've been bound, I've been tied up, but I want God to set me free. Well, Father, I pray for those brave enough to respond to you today. And God, I pray that you would reach down with the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, you would enable them to be set free by this word and by the faith that you breathe into their hearts. God, I pray that the same resurrection power that brought Jesus to life might change and transform them today. In Jesus' name. And if there's anybody who says, you know what, I, I specifically have never bowed my knee to Jesus. I never knew there was a reason to do so. I've never proclaimed Jesus my Lord and called upon him to be my Savior. But this Resurrection Sunday, I want to make a commitment to do so. If that's you, would you raise your hand? We want to pray for you. Anyone at all who says, this needs to be my moment to give my life to Jesus. Anyone at all? Let it be a holy moment. Good. Anyone else? Let it be a holy moment for you. A holy moment for you. Don't pass these moments and allow them to be mundane. God says if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. This is a moment where God is softening hearts, giving them an opportunity to respond to his loving care, concern for their lives. Anyone else? You can just slip your hand up. Okay. Well, Father, I just pray for those who are responding to you for the first time today. God, and I pray that 
you would make them new creations in you. We thank you that the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. And if you're making this commitment today, just right where you are, you can pray this with me. Almighty God, I thank you for your love for me. And I thank you that you've sent Jesus, your son, to live the perfect life I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death I should have died. Lord, I thank you that with power, you raised him from the dead three days later so I could have new life in you. God, would you make me new today by that same power? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're praying that prayer, again, after the service, there'll be people over here who can talk you through next steps and stand with you in prayer as we honor our great King. Amen. Can we give Jesus one last hand clap, please? <laughs>